Brothers and sisters, let us turn in our New Testaments now to 2 Corinthians 9, verses 8 through 18, as uh, I've enjoyed just kind of walking through the blessing, the meaning, and the importance of giving thanks in our walk with God in the last three weeks. So let's finish that up. Let's head to the brightness of the joy of Advent and uh, Christ coming into the world. This is 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 15, and here's the Word of God. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies need seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to thanksgiving. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Well, we know that the first Thanksgiving was set aside by uh, William Bradford, the governor of Plymouth Colony and, and the pilgrims. Uh, what you might not know is that in 1789, George Washington, our first president, uh, set aside an official day of giving thanks to God in this nation. Uh, it was Abraham Lincoln in 1863 that said that day will be the last Thursday of November. And it was in 1941 that Congress permanently established the last Thursday of November to be a day set aside in our nation to thank God. It's a great thing to stop and to think about how you have been blessed and to thank God for his blessings, for all that he has done. And this is a great time, not just to think of God and His beneficence generally. It's a great time to thank God for actual blessings, just like we were doing with the microphone. And specific thanksgiving to God. And when we get specific and we, when we recognize what God has done, then we are able to grab a hold of it. Then we are able to see that Jehovah Jireh, the, the one who provides, has provided for us. Our love for God is increased and our faith in God that He will yet provide again is raised up by this simple act of acknowledgement of His goodness And this willful act of specific thanksgiving 
because of his grace. So this Thanksgiving, don't forget Thanksgiving. Don't forget the act of actual specific thanks. And don't forget why we give thanks. Now, I can almost smell Thanksgiving right now in my head. Uh, I can smell the turkey, and particularly, I guess, the dressing is what is so pungent. Uh, I can hear almost now voices of people that I love around me. Um, And it's beautiful. But will this blessing, these blessings, and so many others... Will they lead to thanks? You know, Thanksgiving in America is almost a a metaphor of who we are in Christ and, and who we need to be. In our country, where we actually live and move and have our being, where God has placed us for as long as he will have placed us here, we're a country of great blessing. We're a country that is by and large religious. The statistics still prove that out. I know the nuns, you know, like no religion have grown to like 10% or something like that. We are a country of great material blessing. When you consider other peoples in the world and other places in the world. But do we remember, you and I, where it all comes from? And are we thankful for what we have or are we simply expecting more? Do we just kind of wave at God on our way through a busy Thanksgiving of feasting and football and, and people? Will Thanksgiving 2014 include God? And for God's people, for us, will it include God? I know that sounds like a ridiculous question, but it's not because it's kind of a metaphor of where are we as a nation now? Where are we as a church in America now? Thanksgiving in America 2014 is interesting to think about. Maybe we could remember God in a, in a really meaningful way. Maybe we could remember His blessing. I, I can see in my mind's eye right now maybe a dad or a mom taking the time, uh, even if it's so briefly, to, to just verbally say out loud, we have so much to be thankful for. And to be able to delineate the, the blessings of God, just as we did on the microphone this morning. Uh, I can see children around a table having an opportunity, even the shy ones, that you have to wait a moment uh, and wait and hold and wait until they finally say what they're thankful for. I can hear little voices saying, I'm thankful for my mommy or I'm thankful for my daddy. Psalm 107 gives us incredible encouragement, a kind of command and exhortation. For Thanksgiving, it begins with a verse that we covered two weeks ago. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And it goes on to to have 
this description of all these trials and yet how God provides in the midst of trial. And it's this refrain, Oh, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love and His wondrous works to the children of men. Let them remember all that God's done. Let them give thanks. And then finally in 22 it says, And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds with joy. You see, Thanksgiving is about remembering, isn't it? It's about remembering reality. That's what's so powerful about it. It's about stating what is real, what has been from the hands of a God who is good, whose love endures forever. That's Thanksgiving. That's what we want in our lives. That's what we need this Thursday in this national day set aside to do it. But... I want to go further than that this morning in this text. I want us to think together of how God's blessings have come to us. So many have come directly from God, our salvation and what Christ has done and the work of the Spirit directly upon our hearts to open our hearts to love, real love for the first time, to forgiveness to a life of learning how to love and His influence, learning how to receive, learning how to give. But you know, so many of our blessings from God come through people. I want you to think this through. I want you to think maybe about your parents. I don't care how old you are, I want you to think about your parents or those who raised you. I want you to think about the specific importance of certain believing friends in your life. I want you to think about teachers and coaches and folks that grabbed a hold of you and just had an opportunity through their their vocation maybe to shape you. I want you to think about the local church. I want you to think about those folks who served and loved and the faithfulness of people and the fact that they actually would care about you. I want you to think about maybe that mentor that just kind of brought you along and helped you out and you've become who you are in some field of interest. Now we could even start thinking about what people have done through church history and how they've given their lives for the gospel and martyrs and people who stood in the face of pressure, people who stood in the ebbs of the church with the gospel that cannot fail and the blessing that has come to us through them. I want you to think about people in history, even American history, who risked their fortunes and their honor to, you know, for instance, stand up against the greatest military power in the world, the British Empire. At that time, I want you to think about people who died on beaches, and in jungles, in deserts, with military uniforms on, so that we could be free of tyranny and enjoy this freedom today. I mean, I want you to think about it. You see, we say everything comes from God. It does. But this morning I want you to think about how so much of it has come from God. And I want you to acknowledge 
as a result of all that that God has done through people, that's what's allowing us right now on microphones and in our hearts to say, I'm thankful for this. I'm filled with thanksgiving. The question in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 isn't, will we give thanks? That's not the question here. The question is, how can we be a blessing to others so that they can give thanks? How can we be the instruments of God that cause others to well up in thanksgiving? Because that's kind of how God works, right? I mean, He does a lot that's direct, no doubt. That other people can give thanks to God. And finally, why in the world would we want to be a part of that? Why in the world would we want to respond to God's generosity by being generous that people might give thanksgiving to God, why would we want to do that? I'm calling it giving thanksgiving. Not just thanksgiving. Do you want to give thanksgiving is the question. Here's the map. God's generosity is answered with our thanksgiving. Got it? That's usually where we stop on thanksgiving sermon. God's generosity is answered with our thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is to lead to our generosity, and our generosity leads to the thanksgiving on the part of other people. You see that kind of, that loop? And, and, and if they were to actually give to others, and, and that thanksgiving could spread, if you will, to, to other people, and there could be this symphonic effect, there could be this growing sense of gratitude in a world that is filled with demands and entitlement, and victimhood and all these things that we bemoan, uh, thanksgiving is an antidote. Thanksgiving to God, it's a gift that you can actually give people with God being at work through you. And so I just want to briefly touch on four things. God's given us all we need. Secondly, out of God's giving, we can give. Thirdly, our giving creates thanksgiving in others. And fourthly, our motivation is the gospel or the indescribable gift that God has given us. So first is just that God has given us what we need, verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What is that saying? All sufficiency, all all, all the time, God is good. All the time, God supplies what we need. It doesn't talk about guarantees of certain things. It talks about God's ability to be sufficient. Not a guarantee for this or a guarantee for that, but to, to have what is necessary, you see. God has given us what is sufficient. God's given us what we need now, there's an issue behind this passage. You kind of need to know the context of the passage. And here in 2 Corinthians, what's going on is that you know where most of the apostles came out from, right, to the Gentile world. They came out from the church in Jerusalem. Remember, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well, now we're out at the ends of the earth in Greece. In Corinth, Greece. And the mother church in Jerusalem is suffering. 
There are people starving to death in Jerusalem. There's a lot going on in Jerusalem. There are a lot of reasons for that. Some of them, a lot of them have to do with persecution. There are even reasons beyond that. And so, you know, the gospel has gone out and these, these pagans, these Gentiles and Jews that were in synagogues and they're all together and they're all together from the least to the greatest in society, etc., etc. It's an incredibly different group of people than any group of people you would find in the ancient world. I assure you because those people didn't mix at all. The question is, will those folks give to the church in Jerusalem? That's the question behind this whole thing. Paul's taken up an offering for the mother church. And the Corinthians will be able to respond with this relief offering, but will they? And, and Paul says that God is the one who has made grace to abound to you so that you have sufficiency at all time to be able to give to other people. You see, verse 8 says that. God has given us what we need. You know the most succinct verse that I've ever read in the Bible about this? Kind of an unusual person said it. John the Baptist. <laughs> John the Baptist probably screamed it. But uh, what, what he screamed was, in John 3.27, a person cannot receive one thing unless it's given to him by heaven. Do you believe that? Or do you think you really earned it because of your talent at your job? No, you got your talent from God. A person cannot receive one thing that is given to him that has not come from heaven. It all comes from God. It may come through people. It may come through opportunities. But it all comes from heaven. So the first thing is God has given us all we need. There's sufficiency. And I think we would agree that there's sufficiency in this room. Secondly is out of God's gift to us, His giving to us, we're able to give. The goal of God's giving is simply not to enhance our personal wealth or our own personal pleasures. And God's not against personal wealth or personal pleasures that glorify Him. Please don't get so, you know opposite play the opposite game here everything can glorify god right but the main purpose of god's blessings to us isn't just for us stop big wall doesn't go further there, there's kind of a throughness that's how remember that's how god blessed you and me But he, he gives to us one of the main reasons to, to be able to bless others with the blessings that he's given us. Paul says this, look at verse 8, So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You may have the ability to, to go above and beyond. You may abound in every good work, in every gift. Every outward expression doesn't even have to be monetary. And then Paul quotes, and I'm not going to go into great detail, he quotes three Old Testament passages. Don't you love it? So like, here's, here's the proof from the Old Testament of what, what I'm saying. He quotes Psalm 112, 9, Isaiah 55, 10, and Hosea 10, 12. And it is, it is out of God's generosity 
that we see in the Old Testament that we are to give. And the more we give of the harvest, the more seeds we have to plant again, to harvest again, to give. God loves to give to people who love to give. It's not like a, it's not like a Ponzi scheme or a game that if you give, you'll get more and then you can stop giving and you go, ha, 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 I got more from God. No, I'm talking about how he loves that sincere heart, a gift-giving heart that just wants to keep on giving. People who want to give have the ability to give. Verse 9, as it is written, he who distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will, listen to this, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Meaning, you're going to grow you're going to increase and out of that you increasing and your increase plus the increase of gifts leads to increased ministry. Increased giving is out of God's generosity that we give. Now, it's not as though the Corinthians were wealthy. Remember, brothers, not many of you James says, we're wealthy. Not many of you were noble, but God chose the ignoble things of the world to shame and the unwise things, the, the unlearned to shame the wise. No, in fact, one of the things that's so interesting about this passage is that the Corinthians are going to have to really recognize sufficiency. Not stockpiles. You, you understand the difference? When my stockpile gets to a certain amount, then I can take a portion of my stockpile. No, no. They're going to have to recognize right there where they are sufficiency, and they're going to have to trust God in the sufficiency to be able to give. Albert Barnes says, Few persons are ever reduced to poverty by generosity. That is so true. Our generosity may be limited by fear of our own material security, but the spring of God's generosity is never dried up by drawing on it for the needs of others. It is actually stimulated by it. You know, the, the amount of individual prosperity per person in America is vastly Improved than when it was in the at the turn of the, the the 1900s, and you know all the way up, and then we have a Great Depression, and all the way up. It's really kind of that post-war boom. But even I want you to think about yet those of you who are around in the 50s, in the 60s, it's different. It's different. We, you move into a house that was built in the 50s or the 40s. You know, your first question is, where do they put all their clothes? <laughs> You know why? Because the closets are small. What does that tell you? They didn't have as many clothes. Well, how'd they get by with a one-car garage? <laughs> I mean, you know, this is kind of... A, and and, and it's, it's a blessing that, that, that this type of thing has, has happened, you know... Albert Barnes goes on to say the spring of generosity is not dried up by the drawing on it, 
or the need of others, it is actually stimulated. You hear these stories from the Depression where people would come up to the back door and, I mean, I've heard them right here in Mississippi, right here in this church. And Mama, you know, that'd be great-grandmama now, and Mama never turned them away. You know, we weren't sure how much food we'd have, but we always had enough for some strangers. You've heard stories like that, right? Well, maybe here are some ideas to get you thinking about how you might give out of God's generosity to you. Just give of yourself in some way to someone. It doesn't even have to be money, y'all. Just give. Give to the Gateway Rescue Mission, the Salvation Army, or give to MADCAP. It's wonderful. Madison Countyans allied against poverty. If you don't have money, give the time to MADCAP or Gateway, or whatever. Um, one of the things I, I did, and I want to encourage you to do, is go online to Voice of the Martyrs and give money to relief of the Christians that are suffering in Iraq. I like that ministry because 100% of that goes straight to these packets of relief. I'm talking about people really suffering who love Jesus, who are displaced. And not just Christians, but Muslims who are afraid who come along with them. You could do that. You could do that today. Give some babysitting to a young couple that needs a night out. Hey, you hunters. Hey, you hunters with all your four-wheelers and your deer camps and all the investments you got. It's time for you to take the sons of single parents hunting. Wouldn't that be great? You see, that would be a way, wouldn't it? To give. Give to a literacy program, just your time in an after-school literacy program. Go teach an ESL. English is a second language to immigrants and visitors from, from foreign lands. Help a senior citizen get to a, a doctor's appointment. I mean, we could just go on, right? I'm just trying to give us some, some context here. So God is sufficient in what He's given us. It is out of God's giving to us that we give. And, and then thirdly, our giving creates thanksgiving in others. This is where thanksgiving actually torques up. This is like thanksgiving to the next level. This is where it becomes fun. So thanksgiving is not just taking stock of what we have, but how we can share it and create more gratitude. Verse 11 you will be enriched in every way in order to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And the through us, he means that the apostles are going to take the gift and give that gift to Jerusalem. In other words, they're going to be the delivery of the gift. You see, through us, there's going to be thanksgiving. It goes on. Verse 12, for, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, there's another purpose, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. It's beautiful, isn't it? How does the idea of not just giving thanks, but stimulating others around you to thank God, how does that grab you? I'm attracted to that idea. I'd like to be a part of that. Yes, raise the song of harvest home. <laughs> Do. But be a song leader for other people to join in. 
that thanksgiving. And what if somebody were to get inspired in their thanksgiving to God, and for your generosity, in their thanksgiving to God? What if they were inspired to say, I could do that? Wouldn't it be interesting to see thanksgiving in, in a world of demands and entitlement just kind of spread and push back barriers of who we've become? It'd be wonderful. So the apostles presented the gift from the Corinthian church to the needy church at Jerusalem that not only supplied their needs, but there was great joy. There was great thanksgiving to God because of it. I want a piece of that. So God's given us sufficiency, right? He's given us all we need. Out of God's giving, we, each one of us, in some way, even if it's just giving our time, we are able to give. Thirdly, our giving creates thanksgiving in others. That's the other purpose of it, Paul says. And then lastly is our motivation to give. Why would we want to do this? Uh, Brad said it very well. He said Thanksgiving is just kind of, I don't remember how, quite, how he put it, Thanksgiving is just kind of what we do as Christians. We're kind of hardwired to recognize God and His gifts and His gift as believers. In giving the motivation for giving Thanksgiving, Paul points us to Christ. You see, it, it, it's, it's out of realizing God's ultimate generosity to people who didn't deserve it. That's us. And it's total generosity. It's unto death. You can't go any further than unto death. It's out of recognizing total, ultimate generosity to people who did not deserve it, us, that we want to be generous. You see, Paul goes on to say, and he has the temerity to say, and may we have the temerity to repeat it, the gospel demands generosity. Oh, there we go. The grace of God has certain demands. And one of them is generosity. The gospel not only demands generosity, but the gospel provides for everything it demands. And even more so in sufficiency at all times, in all ways, so that we are be able to abound in, in all ways in generosity. Now, please don't mistake me. This is not paying God back for the gospel. You can't pay God back for the grace of God because you're not Jesus. And you can't die for anybody's sin. And you can't pay for God so loved the world. You don't even have the ability. You don't have the spiritual cash to pay a dime's worth before the throne of a holy God. So let's just don't even think about that. No, this isn't paying God back for the gospel. This is how our lives are to be more congruent with the giving of the gospel. But the nature of the faith is giving, receiving, giving. Really, it's giving, receiving, thanking, giving, receiving, thanking, giving, receiving. You see that? Giving thanksgiving comes out of our motivation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. By their approval of this service, 
They will glorify God, listen to this, because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. Meaning, submission to the gospel means generosity. And they will thank God for your submission to the gospel. I love those. And the generosity, verse 13, of your contribution for them and for all others while they long to be with you. And they pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that they see upon you. These people are for real. Oh, that we could be with these people who are congruent with the gospel. Oh, that we we might hold up that church in Corinth in prayer because they're, they're living for the gospel. They have the surpassing grace of God upon them. You see, the gospel not only gives you God's riches in Christ, it gives us a heart for people and a heart to point people to Jesus and His love by showing love tangibly as well as telling the gospel verbally in love as a gift because of the surpassing grace of God that is upon us and nothing else because we don't have anything from heaven that didn't come from God. And we don't have forgiveness if it didn't come from God. And we don't have the ability to give in a gospel way without the gospel. Richard Pratt, our own Richard Pratt, in the Holman commentary, yes, he wrote the commentary in that series for Second Corinthians, said, and I quote, wish he was sitting over here, maybe he will be in the second service, Thanksgiving is the, the note sounded by the heart, in the heart, by a real experience of God's mercy. God's mercy makes us sing Thanksgiving. It is the inevitable reaction to the consciousness of God's love. So Paul sums it up in this one sentence, verse 15, and we'll close there. Thanks be to God. For his inexpressible gift. You want to know what it's all about? It's all about the inexpressible gift that God gave and our thanksgiving and the tangible ways that we show and tell the gospel and give thanksgiving to others. So, this thanksgiving. Don't have thanksgiving without God. Check. You're like, We're, we got it this year, I promise you. <laughs> okay, don't have thanksgiving without specific thanksgiving. Check. Okay, even if you have to do it like before you get with your family. It's okay. Like your larger family. It's okay. Don't have Thanksgiving without giving Thanksgiving out of the surpassing grace of God upon you through the indescribable gift. Let's pray. Lord, would you do this in our lives? God, it seems like the more we have, the more we want. It seems like the more we have, the less sufficient what we have seems. Would you help us to see your goodness to us in the gospel? 
that you've made us your sons and daughters, that there is a limitless supply of your love that will never diminish or dim, that there is grace abounding always, there is sufficiency to live in a congruence with your grace and even an inheritance that never dims waiting for us. God, would you make us givers during this time of thanksgiving? In Jesus' name, amen.